0: We are back with another edition of the Cheap P Productions Wrestling Podcast. My name is Jack Kilby, Executive Vice President of Great North Wrestling. And tonight we have a special guest, a man who has definitely an extensive career in the wrestling business with some extremely interesting stories to tell. He is known as Crusher, Crusher Rick Kanoff. Before we get into him, and I probably um, pronounced that incorrectly and I apologize, but before we get into discussions there, I'm of course joined by the man, Mr. G. Pete Maurice Shorthall. Maurice, how are you tonight, sir?
1: Very good, very good. Uh, in great company tonight, so I'm really looking forward to talking to Rick about his career. There's a lot out there, so looking forward to get stuck in.
0: Rick, thanks for uh, coming on the show tonight.
2: Well thank you thank you uh for the invitation, uh Jack Kirby and uh Maurice Short, Short Hill. Uh, I hope I said that right.
1: I will just uh, say you did.
2: We'll roll with it, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, is this me, Santa Claus? No, not really. <laughs> I just played a part. Well,
0: I wanted to, to ask you uh, a question that a lot of the, the fans find find interesting and that is growing up, were you a fan of the wrestling business and if so, uh, what uh, territories or companies did you did you pay attention to or follow?
2: Oddly enough, I didn't really discover professional wrestling until the summer of 1975. I was at the age of ten year old when I discovered uh, wrestling. I was living here down in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, my brother, older brother, would go to the matches, and they would come through Florida Championship Wrestling had territory, did Loop of Florida, and Thursday nights they come to Jacksonville. He would talk about the matches, and I'd hear him talk about these wrestlers, and talk about the bad guys and that. So I was, I was like. Subconsciously drawn into it, but I was thinking about this the other day before I really got into the the wrestling part. I think it's always been in my blood because, uh, stories that my my brothers would tell me, and that when I was just a little baby, and that in one year old, two years old, they would take me and throw me against the wall in the bedroom and I'll bounce off the bed and I start laughing and stuff. And so it's like, apparently it's been in my blood since I was a little kid. And, but, uh, yeah, uh, 75, 10 years old is when I got bit by the wrestling bug. I happened to be playing with some childhood friends out, you know, one summer come in for lunch. Wrestling was on TV, and it just so happened Dusty Rhodes was uh, doing an interview, and it was I, I was instantly drawn to what Dusty Rhodes was talking about, and I was hooked from that moment. Long story short, <laughs> was there
0: a particular? Moment in time that you decided that uh, you were going to pursue wrestling as 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 a career. Yeah,
2: age ten, I knew right then that's all I wanted to do. And you know, I would tell people about. It. Matter of fact, is I was so hooked on on the wrestling with Dusty that I had a white cowboy hat. I don't know where I got the white cowboy hat for from. But I would walk around all summer long with a white cowboy hat and I was imitating dusty roads. So I was I was instantly hooked. This I knew this is what I wanted to do. I got a lot of ridicule from friends and family members and and stuff, but I didn't care. You know. Not too many, you know, kids you know at 10 years old go, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a baseball player, hockey player. I want to be a professional wrestler. That that was the goal, you know. And, you know, 1984, fresh out of high school, my dream became my reality.
0: Can, can you talk a little bit about your, your training uh, process back
2: then? Oh, yeah, Um, that's that's a whole lot going on that one. Uh, When I started my training, we trained at this old dairy farm. It was an old dairy farm converted into a flea market. And you had to go down this dirt road that was like two miles to where you get to the facility, full of potholes. So you're driving down pothole, pothole. And it was a little building. No air conditioning, no windows, no nothing had an industrial fan in there. And basically, it was just a giant sweat box. But it was brand by old school wrestlers. I was taught old school ways. I was taught, you know, to defend yourself, to take care of yourself. Uh, a lot of guys talk about old school and I personally think that's the best way to be trained by old school wrestlers because they're not only going to teach you, but then they're going to teach you the proper way, the wrestling business, how to take care of yourself. If you're going to have any longevity in the wrestling business, grow thick skin real quick. That's the best advice I could give it to any young person, you know, Male or female that are getting into the wrestling business, if you want to have any longevity in this wrestling business, you better grow some thick, freaking skin, real damn quick and in a hurry. Yeah. Nineteen
1: eighty four, then Rick, you're you're saying like you got your your moment, but wrestling was so popular in the states in the eighties. Like, was there anyone that you were looking on the TV screens and you're saying I want to fight that guy? Was there anyone that you thought? I want to get in the ring with him. Who was your oh, dream opponent? Oh,
2: man, there, there were so many guys. I mean, it's like when when I say I was hooked on wrestling, I was the ultimate super fan, the ultimate mark. I had the wrestling magazines. I had the wrestling videos. I had, you know, the action figures when the action figures started coming out. I mean, I had posters on my wall, pictures on my wall. I mean, This is all I really wanted to do, you know, and it's like I eat, drink, breathe it 24-7. So it it was like there was nothing else that I wanted to do. But it was, yeah, the 80s, it was was great. And I started my training in that. I was probably a year and a half into the business I went from, start. I started here in Jacksonville, Florida, my career. Then I went up to uh, Valdosta, Georgia, was wrestling for a promotion there. And they had the wild Samoans come in working with them. I met uh, Afan Sika working for a Jacksonville independent promotion that I was working with. And then I ran back into them in 86 when with this promotion. Uh, All Star Championship Wrestling in Valdosta, Georgia, promoter Grady Odom. And that's where I met Kokina, uh, Kokina Maximus, that later came out, you know, WWE as Yokozuna and the Tonga Kid. So I had a couple matches put on a uh, video cassette. CWF, I always watch CWF Championship Wrestling from Florida. Always wanted to that was my bucket list one of my bucket list things being the wrestling business. I remember in high school writing in my like scrapbook, what are you gonna do in five years? Be a professional wrestler. The goal is to be a professional wrestler, be a household name, wrestling in front of my hometown in Jacksonville, Florida, be in a wrestling magazine. Year and a half into the business, I went down to Gainesville, Florida, championship wrestling from Florida, was down there doing a live house show. Bill Dundee, superstar Bill Dundee, was the booker for them at the time. I talked to Bill Dundee, handed him my my cassette tape. He invited me to come watch the matches. I watched the matches, went back up home to Jacksonville. And probably about three weeks later, I get a phone call. They're inviting me to come down to Tampa, Florida to to wrestle on TV. So I was very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. A year and a half into the business is unheard of, really, for a person in in the Indies. I was 19 years old. I was a kid. I mean, I was a kid in a candy store. I mean, it's like... This this was the greatest thing going on for me, so it's like, that's that's basically how it started. Plus, doing indie stuff.
0: You mentioned uh, the CWF territory, one of the last uh, greats uh, around, you know, for a bit following the national expansion of WWF. What would you consider your highlights of working that territory?
2: Oh, uh, working for CWF it was, was really great. Uh, this is short. Sure, Sadly, it was I got in there right after Eddie Graham had passed away. And everybody knows the story about Eddie Graham committing suicide. Well, you know, we don't have to go into that issue. But uh, it was the territory was still thriving. It was still going on strong. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to wrestle at the very first Eddie Graham Memorial show in St. Petersburg, Florida. That was one of my highlights. The second highlight came in for 86, 87, the summer of 87, Jim Crockett bought out the the Florida territory. And I was able to wrestle on the 87 Great American Bash Tour in Jacksonville in front of my hometown crowd. So I wrestled independence in Jacksonville but this was a major platform, working, you know, with all the top guys in, you know, uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett Promotions, and I got, I got a funny story about that. Got a Great American Bash, I actually saved Michael Hayes' life. Okay. <laughs> the, really? The, yeah. Uh, what was? there was this guy that that wrestled with us back in the day. He went by Michael Hayes. And this guy was kind of shady. We're still sitting in, in the locker rooms and that and about 25 police officers, JSO police officers and detectives show up backstage at the Coliseum. And they have a rest warrant for Michael Hayes. And, you know, I go in there, tell Michael, and say, "Hey, you, you there's cops out here, and you know, get say you got the arrest warrant for you." Michael thought I was, you know, ribbing him, playing a joke, and so he's like, yeah, yeah. "I said, Mike, I said there's 25 cops, 30 cops out here. What do they want?" I said, "They got a arrest warrant for you to say the grand theft auto." And he goes, oh, bullshit." So finally, we get Michael out there, and I mean, these cops were determined. To, the, you know, put them in cuffs and that, and there's back and forth, back and forth, and fortunately, one of the uh, motorcycle police officers was, on when we we're doing indie stuff. Besides me working for the office, was my wrestling manager, and I said, "Hey, let let me see this warrant," and he showed me the warrant. I go, "This ain't the Michael Hayes you're looking for. I know this fool." So it's like, didn't Michael Hayes come close to getting the handcuffs slapped on him and being hauled off for Grand Theft Auto? But if, if I wouldn't have, you know, been there to intervene, he would have been sent down to the, you know, local jail and stuff. So, he, he, you know, we laughed about it. He goes, oh, you one brother. And it's like, never got that, you know, IOU paid off. So I'm still looking for Michael Hayes.
0: If watching <laughs> tremendous.
2: And yeah, you know, I gotta give a shout out to my, my good friend uh Bob Cook. I know I watched uh, Bob Cook's uh podcast and uh Bob Bob's hilarious, man. Probably one of the, the nicest guys in the business. A lot of lot of the guys you know like Bob and stuff, so Bob said he was gonna kill me if I didn't, you know, put him over. So I don't <laughs> no no problem. He was like, I don't know Bob for years, you know, me and me and Bob are cool. Now some some of the guys Nah, not really, you know, so, you know, if there's anything you want to, you know, ask me, we can play the word association game with, with wrestlers and I'll give you my honest, unbiased opinion about it, uncensored, you know, so I'm not going to pull no punches, you know, so I don't know what you guys are exactly looking for. Or You should uh, have, you should, you should have gonna,
1: told us that in advance.
2: I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. I've
1: got I've got one question for you and it's there was very little information about this but I did scour the deep dark web and I found that allegedly you can confirm or deny it in 1991 you had a WWF match under the name Rick Anderson. Is that true?
2: I wrestled as Rick Anderson uh, briefly in 8586 on the Indies. Because the promoter that I worked for, unfortunately, thought by me using the last name Anderson would, you know, draw people in. And I learned very quickly that that was kind of shady. Yeah. Um, Like I said, I was 19 years old and I actually had hair. (laughs) <laughs> so I did look like an Anderson. So I mean, you know, I could I could see where, you know, the similarities, but this this promoter also, you know, had guys like there was a guy that uh Snake Watson. But when I first started going to the local indie shows, I would see this this flashing science like of pro wrestling, Bruno San Martino Jr. Snake uh Jake the Snake. You know, so you're thinking as a wrestling fan, these are the guys you're going to see that you've seen in magazines and wrestling on, on TV and stuff. Then you go and it's like, well, who the hell is this guy? You know, it's, it's like false advertisement. And it, that just never set well with me. So, yeah, yeah was, I, I wrote as an Anderson earlier in my career.
1: Was Randy Hogan on those shows?
2: No, but I have met Randy and real good friends with Randy so nice guy nice nice guy yeah
1: so so Rick in, in clarification then did you ever wrestle a match for the WWF
2: uh no technically no but technically yes because WWF bought out uh, WCW they have their library there is a match on it because bob cook seen it several different times when it was on the wwe network and he would he told me about it and i could never find it one day i saw it it was uh a up they filmed wcw uh saturday night it was at jacksonville coliseum it was the night that barry windham turned heel and joined the four horsemen so that's another that's another highlight of my wrestling career being in the right place at the right time my match was against nikita koloff unfortunately they needed a lot of time to run this angle and in this for for that so nikita comes to me and goes hey we're gonna have to cut it short i said okay my match lasted probably 60 seconds <laughs> but yeah you know, hey
0: you know that's TV given given the fact that you were a, a big Dusty fan growing up uh did you and Dusty put together the bashes that was one of his uh his brain brain children did you did you get to meet Big Dust uh behind the scenes when when you were on uh the show
2: oh yes As a matter of fact when when I was down in Florida Dusty Dusty was there and stuff and like I said I I was the oddball. I was the I was the youngest guy around. I was the last guy in the class of '86 that come through uh, championship wrestling from Florida. So I'm in like awe of you know these guys and stuff, and I want to be you know in the locker room taking pictures of guys and taking pictures of Ron Simmons, Pez Watley they're all like looking like who the hell is this big kid you know taking pictures back here and that and i had a homemade uh green jacket with my my name on it, it was real janky done you know and uh ricky and robert Rock and Roll express were behind me and they were like trying to read the name and someone asked me you know, what what's that say on the back of your shirt I said, oh, it says Crusher come off, you know. So it's like, it is what it is. (laughs) But yeah, I met Dusty, uh, got along real well with Dusty. Matter of fact, uh, he had a series of uh, DVDs out, Turnbuckle Memories. I don't know if you guys heard of those. Uh, Actually, Dusty handpicked the matches to be put on there and I'm on two of those DVDs, different DVDs I think there's like 12 volumes I'm on two different DVDs uh, one me and my late partner Sam Bassler were wrestling against the New Zealand Sea Seacurters which okay. Williams and uh, Luke Miller or I probably just said their, their names wrong excuse me hella funny guys they, they're in the wrestling, we're in the ring, and that, and uh, butch is, or Luke's trying to get me to laugh, you know, while we're doing stuff. And he goes, Hey, hey, mate, your dick's hanging out, mate, your dick's hanging out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm, trying not to, I'm trying not to crack up, you know, so it's like, but uh, I met uh, Dusty's son, Dustin, and wrestled against Dustin, and that was that was probably 89 when they tried to revamp the florida territory dusty uh steve kern and another outside party but uh yeah dust dusty dusty was like my michael jordan my baby roof dusty was my idol
1: was there was there anyone, Rick, that you didn't particularly like face in, in the ring? Or was there anyone that was a bit too rough with guys back then?
2: Um, unfortunately. I didn't have that problem because I, I wrestled heels and I always had to whistle against the baby faces. Mm-hmm. We all heard, you know, the stories about big big Van Vader. I had uh, the guy that I mentioned earlier, Snake Watson. He wrestled against Vader and Vader just, you know, tore him up. And I I was always like, Okay, get me put me in there. Put me in there. You know, it's like because I wasn't gonna put up with anybody's BS. Because I I was taught, you know, to you know, stand your ground if things got fiscal and that it goes back to the training part. You know, the veterans taught you how to defend yourself. Case stuff went Shit went south, you know, quick, fast, and hurrying in the ring. So I made no bones about it with any of the guys. You know, I said I'm not that guy to mess with. You know, I kept, I did my did what I had to do, kept quiet, you know, kept my mouth shut, you know, my ears open. We go to the, you know, sat down, you know, did what I had to do after we were sat down, waited till you know time to leave, blah blah blah. Uh, Funny, funny story about that is, I was wrestling against Ricky and Robert. Had several matches against Ricky and Robert with several different tag team partners, and Ricky and Ricky and Robert got it because they were in at that time. They were running a feud against Doom for the World Tag Team Belts. So you're going to have you know big, you know, heel guys against them. And they actually let us work. And we're trained in the wrestling business to work right-handed. Well, I'm left-handed. There's only a couple of people that I know in the wrestling business, excuse me, that work left-handed. One was Adrian Street and the other was Adrian Adonis. I believe Adrian Adonis was. so. I work left-handed and uh my mentor and trainer, Hallie Wilson, aka Papa Smurf, he uh told me, hey man, you gotta let these guys know that you work left-handed, because if you don't, they're gonna think you're trying to shoot on them, you know, in the ring. And so I'm wrestling Ricky and I'm I'm throwing a left-hand punch and, <laughs> and Ricky. <laughs> The next uh, taping I'm doing, I'm in the tag team match against Rick and Scott Steiner. We're outside, and, you know, talking about stuff, and Ricky casually comes by, walking past us, and he goes, hey, watch out for brother's left. Put It's got a kick like a mule. And Scott Steiner goes, what? He goes, yeah, watch out for his left. So Scott goes, let me see you throw a punch. I say, for real? He goes, yeah. So i throw it. And I always had a terrible problem of throwing punches because I've knocked out people with my punch. And usually when I throw the punch, it always my wrist bone would hit. But with the force, you know, with 300 something pounds going behind it was like a damn anvil <laughs> knock you out. So I threw the perfect punch. Scott goes, do it again. That's said, for real? He goes, yeah, for real. Okay, do it again. Perfectly. That's now that's two. Third time. Again. Okay. Three perfect punches. Text punches. Scott goes one more time. I'm not looking at him. I'm looking at my tag team partner. Now my tag team partner has a hard head. My tag team partner's been known to ram his head into light poles and dent them. And so I'm looking at my tag team partner. I said, for real? He goes, yeah, for real. And I look at Scott Sign I said, for real? He goes, yeah, for real. I said, okay. So I grab my tag team partner by the back of his head, rear back one my left hand, bam, right between the eyes. Scott looks at me and goes, don't throw no punches. <laughs> I'm thinking, you ass. <laughs> you, you sat there and, and it bothered me to throw a perfect textbook punch and I did it. And now you're telling me not throw any punches because you told me for real. You know you didn't say K-fave kayfabe; you said for real. I was okay, but mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's another <laughs> that's another one. But uh, yeah, let's 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 play the name game because I think this is going to be fun.
1: Well, let's just try out random names, then, shall we? Go for it. Uh, Rick Flair,
2: nice guy, really nice guy.
1: jack um,
2: johnny ace when i met johnny ace johnny ace was cool his brothers were cool his uh younger brother wrestled as terminator short career got out of the, the wrestling business went to the private sector made his money there animal yeah Good, ultimate good
1: warrior guy. Who? Ultimate warrior.
2: Never met him, but from what I observed of him in his career, Jim. Jim could be in a NAS.
0: What about uh double A Arn Anderson, who you briefly shared the surname? Uh Arn,
2: hell of a nice guy. Hell of a nice guy. I didn't really have much interaction with him, but I followed his career, followed his career when he first started wrestling, you know, under under his name, Marty Lundy. And actually, I've been watching a lot of old Mid-South Wrestling uh, TV studio matches, and he's on those.
1: Kevin Sullivan?
2: Kevin Sullivan. Hell of a nice guy. Kevin was probably one of the two guys that uh, really took me under his wing and tried to like properly mentor me when I was wrestling for Florida Championship Wrestling. Uh, that him and uh, Sir Oliver Humberdy were were really nice to me. I mean, like I, like I said, I was just a kid back then, you know. in in the late 80s, you know, so I I was kind of, like, awkward. I was, you know, over six foot, over 300 pounds. Uh, There was an angle that Kevin was going to be doing, the Army of Darkness. Uh, There was this guy that uh, his name was uh, Randy. I can't remember his last name. But he was always trying to get into the the. Down there in the office of Florida Championship Wrestling, but could never get through the front door. So I basically told him we bumped in each other on the indie show. I told him what I did, so he wouldn't did that. Next thing I you know, he you know he's working, and they put this uh, gimmick on him. Kevin was doing uh, named Incubus, and that at the Great American Bash tour. I ran into Randy, and he, at that time, because he did Incubus for a little while, then he went up to WCW as the Mighty Wilbur. I don't know if you guys remember remember Mighty Wilbur. I think uh, Tommy Angel might have talked about about that. And I was talking to Randy, and Randy goes, hey, man, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So he pulled me off to the side. He goes, hey, man, I want to thank you. I said, for what? I said, for you helping me get my foot in the door because I've been trying to get back, you know, and couldn't get past, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then he informed me that the Incubus gimmick was a toss-up. They were leaning towards me. And then when Randy came in, they went with Randy because Randy had more years of experience in the ring. And Randy was slightly heavier than I was at the time. And he goes, I want to thank you. I said, he goes, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this opportunity. What's going on? But don't tell nobody about it, because I don't want to screw anything up with one of my chances of working with him. And I said, okay. So later on that night, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting there kicking myself in the ass I go, man. If I'd never done that, I probably wouldn't have been that guy. But, you know, it's, you know, it just so happens,
0: you know. That's how it goes. What about the infamous polarizing Nasty Boys?
2: Nasty Boys. Oh, I got a good story for you about the Nasty Boys. <laughs> nasty Boys have been known to sit there and pull ribs on guys in bars, you know, put stuff in their drinks and stuff or whatever, and and the fart on people and stuff, you know, ha, ha, ha. I was wrestling against them down for uh, the revamped uh, pro professional wrestling for Florida in a tag team match against the Nasty Boys. Brian Knobs decided that he was going to headbutt me in the match. But Brian figured... One headbutt's not enough. Let's give him three headbutts. So okay. Okay, I'm giving you my body. First one, it was hard as hell. Second one was slightly light. By the third one, it was light as a feather. Because Brian Nods found out my head was way harder than his head was. About <laughs> knocked him out. <laughs> that's, that's, a, but uh, yeah, the, the nasty boys. Hell of a nice guys. Rick Rude. Rick Rude. Never really personally met Rick Rude, but uh from what I understand, nice, nice guy.
1: Jack is Jack has Big actually got a name. An What's that? Big Boy, boss Ray. man.
2: Big boss man, Ray Trailer. Uh known him, known him from you know working when he first started wrestling as as a job guy uh couldn't be happier for the guy for what i understand a really nice guy easy to get along with everybody loved him
1: i was just saying there that jack um when we were doing our research for this show he brought up um a match i'll let you i'll let you jack you found it you can run it by rick and we'll we'll get to the bottom of this story as well
0: yeah, yeah. This this uh, in in one of your your own uh, YouTube videos, you were talking about uh, your I guess long-standing program with uh, Papa Smurf, your your trainer, and you said you've been to the top of the mountain. And and what flash was a advertisement for a 2001 match, uh, approximately June, where you were slated to to wrestle Hulk Hogan. At the uh, base of the Eiffel Tower, and <laughs> and that immediately jumped out for obvious reasons. Can you can you say on that
2: Yeah, that that was basically a rib. Uh, <laughs> I wanted, one of the guys that I, I co-hosted a, a wrestling talk show host with uh, back in '97. The the wrestling talk show radio show was between the ropes and the guy's Mm. name was joe capone joe capone passed away about a year or so ago and joe always thought it was funny to him to do stuff like this and involve my name and stuff to piss off the other wrestlers like and make it like oh you know I'm claiming to do this. I've claimed to done, you know, do this. He would even go far as when the the wrestling message boards were were a big thing. Uh, go on the Florida wrestling boards using my name to piss off all the other guys down in Florida where everybody wanted to kick my ass. So, but, you know, my my philosophy was, "Hey, Let's go. Let's dance. Because I'm not that guy to mess with. You're not saying that, you know, I wouldn't walk away with bruises or whatever, but they would have known I was there.
1: Did you ever get to meet Hulk then over the years? Back to the name game.
2: Uh, n- yes, once. Uh, this was back in late 80s. 87 might have been 87, 88, 89, we're around that frame. When uh WWE started, WWF back then, we we're running shows. They came through Florida, they came to Jacksonville, and I was backstage, you know, with them, Met Hogan, uh Jay uh Strongbow, George Animal Steel. The British Bulldogs. Uh, Matter of fact, I went and did a. uh, They wanted uh, some coffee in British. And David Boy Smith goes, "Hey man, can you go get us some coffee?" I was like, "Sure, I'll get you some coffee." So I, you know, went to concession, got the coffee, and brought it back. And they had an elevator that you could ride up, and then back down to the lower level where the locker rooms were. So I'm coming back with their coffee get in the elevator. And just so happened, Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth were in the elevator. So it's like, I'm not expecting anybody to be in the elevator. Doors open. There they are. And it's like, okay, cool. Uh, I get in there. We all heard stories about how Randy was possessive and jealous and protective over Elizabeth. No, I'm sorry. You know, she is fine. <laughs> you know, and she got if you if you're a red-blooded American male, and you got eyeballs that are working and your blood's pumping. You're just like, there you see Elizabeth. But it's like my whole time and I'm sitting there holding this tray of coffee, it's like, don't look at her. Don't look at her. Keep your eyes full of her. Cause it's like I just I just feel you know Randy's eyes on the back of my head. Don't you be looking at my woman. That's <laughs> how so it's like. But and uh, it was it was cool, you know, being being around the guys and, and stuff.
1: How does how does one end up then? You said you never technically wrestled for them, but how does one end up then backstage making these guys coffees?
2: Um. Well, basically, you know, it's it's like you know, I being wrestling for Florida Championship Wrestling, I got to know the 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 guy that was at the door, so it's like, you know, it's like you seen me there before, so it's like go backstage and, and stuff, and just basically, you know, stay out the guy's ways, but you know, kind of like intermingle with with them and stuff, and. You know, introduce myself so they they knew I was a wrestler. But uh, it's like, you know, I had no problem, you know, being the gopher for them because I knew they couldn't go get the stuff. So yeah, I, I I had no problem with it.
1: Were you in the hope of maybe getting an opportunity through that for the company then?
2: Um, if it happened, it happened. If not, you know, I was I was cool. You know, it, it was like. Cause I was one, I was, I was one of the boys. So and and that's that's the way I look. That's the way I looked at it. That's the way I played it. I didn't try to you know suck up on them and you know overstep my bounds with them and and mark out for them and like, oh my god, oh my god, you so 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 funny. The funny thing was when I first went down to Florida, me and my tag team partner were sitting we get there early because I always was taught to get to the arena early. And I would travel with uh, the Smurfs to towns and that. We would always get there a couple hours early. So we're sitting in there and we're putting on our ring gear. In walks uh, Black Jack Mulligan, my tag team partner, one of my tag team partners, favorite wrestler. He starts marking out. Now, this guy's been in the business longer than I have, a couple years longer than I have. And I'm sitting there looking at him. He's like, oh, my God, Blackjack, I look at him and I say, what the hell's your problem? I said, he's just like us, man. He puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I thought it was hilarious that, you know, this guy's sitting there marking out. And it's like, dude, I'm supposed I should be the one marking out. Look, you know, but you're you're you sitting there freaking out and we're just sitting there and then Terry Funk comes downstairs and let's see if I could do this justice for, for Bob Cook. He goes, Terry Funk goes, hey you don't mind if I sit down there and dress with you, these guys upstairs are assholes. <laughs> so I was like okay, like you know, Terry Funk just sat down and talked with us and Stuff, you know, shared a little bit of knowledge with them, treated us like we were equals, you know, like, like, not treating us like we're a bunch of, you know, idiots and, you know, job guys. And that's another thing job guy. A lot of guys in the business don't like the word. Yep. Barry Horowitz hates the word. Bob Cook's not really too keen on the word job guy. Me, the word job guy never bothered me. Because that was my job. To put the the superstars over. So I wore the word job guy like a badge of courage. Mm. So it, it never bothered me.
1: Not I think a lot of the I think a lot of the problems is, Rick, just to cut across, you. it's like when guys from outside the business are critical of wrestlers and refer to them as job guys when they've oh, yeah. never stepped on the ring. That's that's, I think, the, the issue a lot of wrestlers have.
2: Oh, yeah, most definitely. And, and, and the thing about it is, unless you've been in the business, unless you've put on a pair of tights, pair of wrestling boots, stepped through the ropes, taken bumps, what gives you the right to sit there and criticize what we do in the damn ring? You can 100%. sit there and have opinion all you want. That's your freedom of choice. But unless you lived a lifestyle, took bumps, bled, sweat, gone through the heartbreaks of the business, you could be an armchair quarterback all you want. I can sit there in NASCAR. I don't get NASCAR. You want to press me, go left. You know, go against the grain. You know, I'm not sit there and, and sit there and go, oh, uh, NHL sucks. I don't care about NHL. But it's like, I'm not going to say, oh, plastic surgeon. I could do that. No, you can't. It's not for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well,
2: so, before I ask you a, a
0: question related to uh, job guys or whatever term you put on it, I wanted to just briefly go back to um, a match you had with the Rock and Roll Express with a partner by the name of uh, Death Row, and what yeah. jumped out, yeah, what jumped out to me about that match, not only how good it was and how you made them look like a million bucks, but Jim Ross on commentary, perhaps you know arguably the best to ever do it or one definitely in that conversation he put over your size and your strength and how it was a uh, you know a momentous task for the rock and roll it seemed to me beyond what was required to you know emphasize the the big men versus smaller men deal just wondering were you surprised by that and was there ever any plans for for you guys to be, um, you know, uh, a more of a tag team, given that how he put you over really strong.
2: Um, actually, when I first saw them, saw the match, I was shocked how Jim Ross actually put me over. Um, it felt good to be honest with you. Um. Death Row, his real name's Rosie. He's he's passed away now. But hell of a nice guy. By looking at him, he's intimidating as hell. Which scare the shit out of you. Of course, I scared the shit out of a lot of people myself. <laughs> but also, hold up, don't crack up there, Maury. You know, I might have to come over there and get you. Uh, Yeah, me and me and Rosie had good chemistry together. Um, I would have loved to, you know, run a program with him as a tag team partner. But that was up to the powers to be, and that never really came to happen. But you know.
0: It's a shame there was there was definitely potential there, especially uh, you know with the with the Rock and Roll Express, some money left on the table. But back to uh, the whole job enhancement, talent, whatever you want to call it, Do you, is it is it your uh, one of one of the uh, the objectives that we have on Cheap Productions Wrestling Podcast is to is to get everyone's story out there that was in the business because of the respect that that we have for the business and what it takes to to be a wrestler um in especially in that time frame that, that that you were uh working uh for WCW NWA do, do you think that that it is um something that should be recognized at the higher levels the the vital role that uh enhancement guys played in uh you know national television during that that golden era I mean those of us of a certain age can, can most certainly recall being highly entertained by enhancement uh, guys and also the role that they played as you pointed out getting stars over but do you think it's it's overdue that that uh, folks who made their mark in, in that respect not not with what they did regionally but nationally should be in in a, in a hall of fame
2: I think there is a good possibility that They could have a wing in the Hall of Fame for enhancement talent, you know. And I guess that's a better term to use instead of job guy. Or do you use the word carpenter? Um, That's not something that a lot of people would refer to. A lot of the older guys, yeah, carpenter, enhancement talent, you know our jobs were there to make these guys look good on TV. Now, that doesn't say that somewhere during the match, things could go south in the ring, and then, you know, something could happen. And it did happen, excuse me, with a match with uh, Death Row wrestling against Mike Rotundo. Things got a little bit heated in the ring, and they they got to blows, and got kind of got to blows. Uh, after the match, guys guys certain guys who sit there were great to work with. Then there were certain guys that would sit there and treat the job guys like we were nothing but their doormats. They could do anything they wanted to us with no consequences and repercussions afterwards because they're the superstars. We're the bottom feeders. So it's like, you know, take it or, you know, and just deal with it. Well, I'm sorry. I wasn't that guy, you know, not saying that I was trying to be big bad Johnny badass, but I was I wasn't going to get intimidated by anybody. There's there's a couple stories I like to share about that situation. Uh, Earlier, when I went up to C.W., the very first thing I do get to to Atlanta, I'm riding up the elevator, and who I'm sharing the elevator with? None other than Jake the Snake's father, Grizzly Smith. Now. It's like, okay, I give Grizzly Smith wrestler's handshake. <laughs> Grizzly rips me a new one. He said, don't give me that lip-rinsed handshake crap. Shake my hand like a man. I go, yes, sir. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, I won't do make that mistake again, because I was always taught when you meet another wrestler, you know, you give the secret handshake. You know, <laughs> you know really, you know, light and stuff, you know, but Apparently, Grizzly Smith hated that shit. So it's like, okay. Then there was another incident. uh, Getting ready to go out and do a a TV taping. And I had this uh, uh, robe made. It was kind of like a vest had a cape. It was an old-style throwback look to something that uh, luchador wrestling would wear. Something like Mill mascaras would wear and ironically it looked just like it so i'm going to the you know to the match and Oli anderson is standing there because Oli was apparently booking at that point or whatever or in charge Oli looks at it and goes take that crap off i go what because you ain't wearing that crap out in the ring so it's like okay you know i didn't see anything wrong with it but you know Whatever, you crusty old fart. And I'm walking back and in the hallway, hawking animal over there, and they're laughing at me. And I'm looking at them and go, What the hell are y'all laughing at? What are you, have face paint on your face? You look like a couple of damn clowns. Jim Cornette standing in the hallway laughing at me, you know, and that. And I go, What the hell are you laughing at? I said, The way you dress, you look like a vegetable melody. You know, so I didn't take shit from anybody, you know, it probably wasn't the best thing to do, you know, in, in my young career. But, you know, it's like I didn't take crap from people. You know, that might have been my downfall. But, you know, it's like, if you're go- don't let them get you because if they think they can get you, they're going to ride you. So they gave yeah. it to me. I gave it back.
1: You were saying earlier about the name game. So, if I was to say, "You got to give me four names without explanation," if I give you your your Mount Rushmore of carpenters, which four guys are on it?
2: Okay, let me roll that one over. First two, right out the gate: George South, Bob Cook. Uh next two. That's, that's a tough one. Wasn't
1: that is, a planned that, question.
2: That, that, that is a tough one because there's been a lot of guys that I feel that probably could have, you know, got the nod but didn't. Uh, hmm. I <laughs> you got me okay
1: well what we'll do is we'll 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 down the line we'll do a part two and by the time that is coming around you'll have your four how about but that on.
2: uh i got a couple couple of good good stories to tell uh ron simmons when ron first started wrestling for forward championship wrestling i was one of his first few matches Ron goes to pick me up for a body slam I didn't want to go Now grant you I had to convert From my thinking Working from the indies Working for the office Versus working the office Because I never left my feet Working on the indies Because I was the big bad heel so I'm wrestling Ron. Ron goes to pick me up for a body slam. I don't want to go. So he goes to pick me up, and I just like dead weight him. Now he's lifting barbells and weights and that. That's that's okay, fine. But you're talking mass. I don't want to go. So I just basically throw my arms and everything out, unbalance them and that. He gets me up to probably his like mid-drift. And all of a sudden, he goes, Ugh! and then drops me. Yeah. <laughs> we finished we finished the match, and we're in the back. He goes, damn, brother. And he goes, how much do you weigh? And I told him. And I laughed and tell everybody. I said, I started that damn phrase for Ron Seven so I'm looking I'm looking for Ron to this day Ron owes me royalties for that phrase damn because I started it If
1: he's watching which I'm sure he isn't but hello Ron
2: if he if he is you know it's like he he does conventions and one of these days I'm gonna run into him in the convention and go, hey Ron you remember you know, you know back in the day when they did this and you said damn. He goes, yeah. I said, dude, you made money off of that. I started that. I think you owe me royalties.
1: I'll clip that. I'll Check clip that me. in this clip
2: reel. But uh, there's, there's in like said, in terms of. Go ahead. Sorry. Go
0: ahead. Go go ahead. Yeah. I I was just I was just gonna say in terms of your. Your your most uh, proud uh, accomplishment in the business? What would that be? Be it uh, in ring or promoting or or whatever.
2: Um, a lot of like a touch base with the earlier stuff that I did working for the office. You know, and probably the other is uh, doing independence, starting up my own uh, wrestling promotion. Uh. I wrestled uh, in the early 80s as, an, as another gimmick besides doing Crusher Knopf. I did a gay gimmick and as the adorable one Rick Rose. Then I had a tag team partner. We called ourselves the Twisted Sisters. And then uh, I had another tag team partner. Uh, he was shorter than me, uglier than me. <laughs> and I was doing the Rick Rose thing and he he was the beast so we were Beauty and the Beast and we were wrestling for a, a promotion particularly didn't care for how things were being run especially by guys that were supposed to be in charge of stuff booking the stuff and they're calling the shots we particularly didn't care at this time I've been doing this longer than anybody else so it's kind of hard for me to keep my mouth shut <laughs> i was very very opinionated so it's like you know i said why don't we just start up our own own thing so in 97 we started up insane wrestling alliance and ran promoted show. and that that was probably highlight the other highlights were uh, me doing two different ro- wrestling talk shows, one radio show, and then I did a blog, uh, blog talk radio show, uh, Cruncher's Classic Matt Memories. Do, did interviews with a few different wrestlers. So those those were my highlights. Uh, now my low, low points in the business. The last time I worked for WCW was probably one of the low lights. And the last match I had was against Brian Pillman. Now there's a lot of guys that sit there and praise Brian Pillman. Steve Austin has nothing bad to say about Brian Pillman. Good buddy. Pal, wow, great. No, Brian Pillman was a dick. He was an asshole. I was in the match with him, and he did his, his thing was doing like a spinning of kick. He hits me with it, and at the corner of my eye, I'm gonna I'm I want to sell for, him. I want to do business, and I want to take this big bump and make it look good. At the corner of my eye, when I'm starting to go back to take the bump, I notice the ring ropes behind me. And from my vision, it looked like they were closer than what they were. So I didn't take the full bump. I kind of like took a knee. Pissed Brian off. Didn't like it. Because I guess in his mind, I was making him look bad. So we do the match. He goes for the finish. He comes off with the the flying body press off the top rope. Turnbuckle hits the guy, usually hits the guy in the chest. No, me, he hits me in the face. I catch him, I laugh at him, and then take the bump. Pisses him off even more. We get back to the back. He starts cursing me out. Now, my thing is if you want to curse me out, ridicule me, whatever, pull me to the side, go for it. I got tough skin, I could take it. His thing was he did it in front of the boys, the other, the other job guys and stuff. That started a big no no. I went to Jody Hamilton, Sassam, sitting in the grill position. I asked Jody, I said, Jody, how was the match? Jody gave me a thumbs up. That's all I was ever concerned about. Be in the ring, you might not like what happened. My concern was of the the man in charge in the gorilla position. Yes, no, indifferent. Now, if it would have been that bad. Jody chewing my ass out. I would have took you know the the total you know. Upright. Jody, give me a thumbs up. Brian continues to rant and rave about it. Sets me off. I mean, I go into a tirade, and I start cursing. And basically, the gist of it was, I want to whip Brian's ass. Because all the guys go, ooh, ooh, you did ooh, he did this. And it's like, uh-uh. <laughs> so I said, give me a chair. I said, I'll take a steel chair, and I'll wrap him beside his damn head. I don't care. And I was not quiet about it. I was very boisterous about it. I think the whole building could hear me. I mean, that's how red I was. Now, being that being said, being young and stupid, because that's what it was, I let my emotions get the best of me. But the other thing that came into play was there was an outside factor. There was another worker, another guy over guy, by the name of Sid Vicious. Sid didn't like Brian. Never liked Brian. I don't know what you, you say nowadays, Brian. But Sid used me as a puppet. Just kept it. nang nag, 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 nag. Brian said there. Brian said. There. I just went ballistic and junkyard dog come up to me and goes pulling me aside he goes hey man don't let these guys get over on you don't let them intimidate you because if they feel like they could do this to you everybody's gonna do it to you and he basically junkyard dog was trying to you know calm me down get me off the ledge and he pointed me over to a guy. He goes, See that guy over there? I go, like, Yes, sir. He goes, The Samoans would, you know, ridicule this guy, you know, whatever, all the time. And say, so What day? This guy got tired of it. And in the locker room, saying stuff. The guy reaches in his, you know, this is what Dog was telling me. The guy had a pistol in his. <laughs> And people were giving him shit. And the Samoans, I guess, were leading the charge on this. And the guy just had enough. Reached in his bag, pulled out his pistol, popped a shot off, whizz, by one of the, their heads and shit. And then nobody in the locker room gave that guy shit after that. <laughs> so it's like, you know. But uh, Buddy Landell come, come up to me and goes, God oh, damn, Crusher, what'd you do to piss him off and set me off again? And I said, I don't give a rat, you know, blah blah blah. And I went to the dressing room, started changing out. Here comes Pillman. For some reason you had to go through the the hill locker room to get to the the outside parking area. Pillman's coming in there, so pissed off, ranting and raving, whatever. He still has all of his ring gear on. He's got his suitcase and his bag and shit. and Walking in, and sees me, you know, and doesn't say anything. He just keeps going. So a few seconds after that, here comes Lex Luger. Lex Luger's looking at me, and I'm halfway undressed, and I look up. He's looking at me and I go, what the hell you want? And Lex just turns around and walks back out the other way. So, the the following day, we're at center stage. Um, Get a phone call. I'm in there getting ready to, I'm dressing and stuff. Phone rings. Kevin Sullivan answers the phone. I believe it was Kevin Sullivan. Apparently, it's Brian and Pillman on the other end. Refusing to come in to the locker room if I'm in the locker. Now, why are you afraid to come in the locker room? Is it because you pissed me off so badly that everybody told you the next time I saw you, I was gonna be in to the- kick your ass? We were gonna fight? Could that be the reason? So, Pillman got his way. Kevin walked up to me and said, hey, you know, do you, you can't be here. Pemmins refusing to come in here. So I said, what about, you know, me? He said, you got to go sit up in the stands. He said, don't worry. You still get paid for, you know, your time and stuff. I said, but you can't be in here. And unfortunately, that was the last time I worked for WCW. So that was like the rise and fall of working for WCW. Fucking hell. But, uh, like, like I said, I, I'm not gonna, not gonna sit there and sugar cook for none of the guys. A lot of the guys I got along with, the only two guys I can really think of that I have made it that had major issues with, one was Pillman, the other one was Brett Wayne Sawyer, Brett Sawyer's little brother. Yeah. <clears throat> this goes back to the second version of the Florida uh down in Tampa. I was in a, a tag team match. That thing was uh, me and Dustin rode against him and a guy named Jimmy Backlund, wrestled later on as Jimmy Del Rey, one half of the heavenly bodies. I'm giving you my body. As much as I hate to say this, those two guys were hired in a freaking kite. They were drugged out, peeled up, whatever the hell they were doing. They took it upon themselves to try to rip my head off. I did business because I knew, I knew Jimmy from back when I first started wrestling, we were on the same independent shows and promotion. So, I kind of like looked over it, but I didn't appreciate it. We get to the back, Unknowns to me that there is a promoter visiting. I think he was from Hawaii, and we get back into the lock, back into the locker room, and there. I'm, I'm fuming. And Brett Silver is standing behind guys like. You know that the uh, Looney Tune cartoon where you got the that big massive pit bulldog, and they got the little yap yap dog, you got yap, yap 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 behind them. You know, like I got my ball, I got my bodyguard. I can talk shit if I want to. You ain't nothing you can do. That's what Brett was doing, and that's like, dude. Yeah, I want, I want them to rip their hands off. But those are basically the only two I can really think of that I had any major issue with. Well, that's
0: not a, that's not a bad average at all. Rick, you've been very generous with your time tonight. I foresee a part two in the future, Definitely. but in the meantime, where can all the fans keep up with you on social media,
2: sir? Um, they can look me up on uh, Facebook, Rick Kanoff. uh, also, my uh, wrestling promotion, Insane Wrestling Alliance, Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at IWA of Florida. Then Instagram is at IWA of Florida. Uh, anybody's, you know, welcome to hit me up on any of those. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, coming on the show. Um Thank you, very, hour. thank you very much for having me. And I would love to come back and do it again. Quick shout out to my, my good friend, Bob cook, you know, hope I was entertained. probably not as entertaining as funny as Bob was. Uh, and for, for all the, for all the guys that were listening, cause I've told a lot about what's going on. I uh, have a friend Uh, On Facebook His name is Richard Over in England Give a shout out to him Uh, Current uh, people I'm working with right now USWA uh, Promoter Female wrestling promoter Ella Quillens I believe that's her last name Uh, Just recently uh, This past October I was inducted into the Jacksonville Wrestling Hall of Fame Congrats Which was A real tremendous honor because I went into it with my mentor friend, Hallie Wilson, a.k.a. Papa Smurf. I started my wrestling career in Jacksonville, so that was a big highlight for me to be inducted to Jacksonville uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame, along with a couple other guys that I worked with and stuff. And also uh, Don Curtis was inducted into the, the Jacksonville Wrestling Hall of Fame. Matter of fact, USWA has a show uh, January thirteenth. It will be the sixth annual uh, Don Curtis Memorial Cup show. So look forward to doing stuff with them. Got a few things going on in twenty twenty four. See see what happens. But I would I greatly appreciate you guys reaching out to me to you know be part of this podcast show. I, I enjoyed myself. I hope you know my s- stuff was informative for guys Definitely. and stuff. And I would love to come back and do it again. If you would have me.
1: We will have you and I've actually just thought of a very interesting concept for the show, which we'll talk about off air. So I have an idea. Got an okay. idea. I'm I'm down. <laughs> I,
0: well, I, Once again, thank you very much for for your time. We'll definitely be in touch. And fans, that is it for this edition of the Heat Productions Wrestling Podcast. Thank you for viewing. And if you haven't, click subscribe on that button to keep up to date with all the content we have coming in 2024. And we will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody.